Welcome. Welcome to Champions for NorCal Kids, a podcast designed to highlight the great champions and work of the youngest members of our community in Northern California. Join us, First Five Shasta Director Wendy Dickens and First Five Tehama Director Heidi Mendenhall as we discuss topics that are focused on children ages zero to five and of course their families. Our goal is to inspire, empower, and cultivate a sense of community filled with hope and connection. Hi, Wendy. Hello, 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 Heidi. Good to be back talking about stress busters. Yes, yes. Sleep. Sleep yes. is so important, right? That's what we're going to talk about. Are we going to take a nap during our sleep busters? I know, right? Let's just experience the stress buster of sleep and nap. And not, no. <laughs> I know. Um, it's a hard one. Sleep is one of those, I think at our, in our core, we all know we need it, but that how do you figure out how to get it? <laughs> right. And I think, you know, we all know we need it. I do think that we as adults know that our behavior changes when we've had a lack of sleep. We know that, you know, the more stress we have, sometimes we have even greater lack of sleep. Right. So, um, you know, you know, there are research uh, studies out there actually around sleep and sleep deprivation. And I'm sure people have heard about it, you know, in the past, like if you go several days without sleep straight, no sleep at all, you're going to start having, you know, some hallucinations, but you know, that's not a typical response because most people don't, you know, make themselves stay awake for four days straight, but you know, you can have some other responses if you are not getting sleep. I remember, you know, watching um, a documentary on sleep deprivation and you actually are more like you're drunk if you're so fatigued and you're driving, if you're driving like that, it's almost as if you're driving under the influence when you are super fatigued and you've had a real true lack of sleep for several days. So, you know, adults who sleep fewer than eight hours a night are more likely to report symptoms of stress in one of the studies that I read. And, and, you know, they're going to be irritable and angry. And those who sleep more than eight hours often, you know, have feelings of overwhelm. So it's like a balance, right? Like you can't just sleep, you know, none and you can't sleep too much either. And we know that people who are significantly depressed often sleep more than they need to sleep. So stress has that way of, you know, taking over your body and deciding for you what you're going to do because you're you know, mind's racing or you just shut down. So whatever the case might be, getting an adequate number of hours of sleep, which is about eight for most people, is going to help you, right? And so for children, that's also equally important. Yeah. And, you know, stress is one of those um, things with stress busters, we're looking at how can we affect stress, right? How can we shift it? But sleep is interesting because actually, if you have a higher number of ACEs, oftentimes you have more disrupted sleep. And we know that if you sleep more, you process stress better and you are, you feel stress less. And so it is one of those really critical pieces because it has that inverse relationship. And so it's even more important to think about as adults, how we can set up the children's lives that they have the opportunity to sleep better and even more so important for children who have a high number of adverse childhood experiences. Yeah. And, you know, there's research showing that even younger generations right now than, you know, what we consider adults um, are experiencing high levels of stress that are complicating their ability to sleep. And, you know, as you move down, you know, when a child, you know, they often display their lack of sleep through tantruming, through hitting, through the inability to kind of re-regulate or 
you being able to help them kind of re-center, um, those behaviors are harder for them to manage because they already have a hard time because they're still learning. And then to add that lack of sleep on it, we know that, you know, there's often that point of no return as well, right? So when a kid gets to that place where there's so much, uh, you know, stress in their lives and there's, you know, we forget there's stress in young children's lives too. And lack of sleep actually compounds that for them. And then they get to that place where then they have a hard time going to sleep. And, you know, and that happens a lot in infants, right? Like if you keep them up too long, then you say they're fighting sleep, which is kind of true. Their bodies are kind of fighting sleep because now they're kind of past that point for themselves. And we have to be conscientious as the adults in their lives and how we help them through that, how we make sure we're providing opportunities for naps when they need it, but also adequate sleep as they're growing into older stages in their lives. Because there's also research that shows lack of sleep for young children shows a lack of ability to concentrate for ourselves, right? That's true. So it makes sense. It's true for them too, right? <laughs> if we can't concentrate as an adult because we had lack of sleep. It only makes sense. That's true for them as well. So I, you know, I don't know how that that's a mind breaking or mind blowing, but you know, some people may not understand that that is the truth. Like we have, they're going to have a harder time in the younger years because they haven't learned everything we have as adults, right? And then if you have an adult who's had a large number of adverse childhood experiences and they haven't had any ways of learning new coping skills or learning new ways of handling things, a lack of sleep is only going to bring on more triggers, bring on less ability to cope, just like in a child who hasn't yet learned either. So you know, just understanding that I think is helpful, knowing that someone who uses illicit drugs to keep themselves awake or uses caffeine to an excess to keep themselves awake is going to also have some issues because eventually your body needs the sleep. It has to have the sleep to help with the cortisol levels, to help your brain re kind of gain its composure, so to speak. It, it is when you're, when you're sleeping, it's when your body, your brain is at the most ability to rest a little bit, but also to process things that they don't necessarily process. Right. And I think, you know, it's, sleep is sleep is really layered right sleep has got some deep um stigmas with it i can speak from my personal um experience if i nap in the middle of the day i immediately feel guilty when i wake up right because i have this self-talk of you wasted quote unquote wasted time or you weren't productive or you were um you know real negative self-talk lazy and and I can hear that coming out in my family because my daughter, my seven-year-old will jokingly say, well, dad's lazy on the weekends because my husband enjoys napping to replenish his brain. And I must have communicated that belief in some way with my words and my model. She said it just the other day and I was like, oh, well, is he lazy or is he replenishing his brain? And then I'm like, well, clearly she got it from somewhere and I'm pretty sure it was likely me, right? And I, I have that internally. And so I, I definitely think that there might be a shifting of that also to our children when they nap more, right? And we know, we know innately that children need extra sleep and naps, but then also like there's this underlying um, cultural belief that some of us may have around laziness and sleeping too much and not being productive. And so, I don't know, I think it's worth talking about and thinking about what your feelings are around sleep and, and that you are able to promote a healthy sleep environment and the ability to take what you need when you need it. So 
such a great point because I think we do, you know, we can say to ourselves, oh, I'm so lazy, but there are countries that they promote a sleep in the afternoon, you know, many European countries and, you know, um, our neighbors to the South, they appreciate having a bit of a nap in the afternoon when it's already too hot to be outside or when there's other things that are wound down and it then revitalizes the brain, you know, and then you talk about power naps and that's very big in Japan and having the ability to take even just a 30 minute nap can be helpful to refreshing your brain. You know, we talk about brain breaks and having a nap is a true body break from all the things that you're doing. And we do need brain breaks. And I don't think we need we need to belabor that right now. We can talk about brain breaks at another time, but you know, it's so important. We don't, I don't think we take enough brain breaks either. So I was looking at this sleep foundation um, and they did some research um, also, and they talked about, you know, poor sleeping habits and, you know, they talked about sleeping tips, which I know you're gonna talk a little bit about too, Heidi, but I really wanted to talk just for a second about the recommended number of hours of sleep for ages. So what they talked about is they broke things down into kind of nine age groups and I won't go through every single one of them, but for us, because we're zero to five, I kind of want to talk a little bit more in depth about those. And then, you know, as adults, we need seven to nine, which I already kind of talked about, right? Like you need at least eight hours of sleep, but seven to nine, that range, because everybody's different. Every body is different. And sometimes you do need more sleep than others. Maybe your body's trying to fend itself off of a cold or, or you had an exceptionally good work out that created a little bit more fatigue, right? So we've talked a little bit about having good physical activity. So that helps with stress as well. But for a newborn, you need to have them if they're zero to three months is what they're defining a newborn as 14 to 17 hours is their recommended number of sleep, which kind of makes sense, right? They wake up, they eat, they may look around, they go back to sleep, right? And then, and then, but their brain is going through so much work. And while you sleep, that's when your brain is trying to process and learn new things in a different way, right? And then an infant, which they define as four to 11 months old, needs 12 to 15 hours. Still quite a bit, right? Because they're still growing a lot. They're still, you know, learning a lot. And then a toddler, which they define as one to two years old, 11 to 14 hours. Again, remembering they're learning so much and they need the they need the ability for their brain to kind of process all of that during their sleep. And so usually you see people, you know, um, napping at that age, you know, in the middle of the day, but then they also go to bed a little earlier. Right. And then they don't you know sometimes they get up early, but sometimes they don't. Right. It just depends. And, and if they're still waking up in the middle of the night, you have to try as a parent or a care provider um, or adult in a child's life to figure out how then do you, you know, shift that so that they are still getting the number of hours they need. Right. And then preschool, they label that as three to five, and they say 10 to 13 hours of sleep still. So I don't know about you, but um, I feel like sometimes we don't a lot enough time, and, and especially four to five-year-olds get a little bit more difficult to get them to nap at the daytime. Yeah. yeah. So you know, they want to stay up because they see bigger kids staying up or they see all the adults in their world staying up and they fight that. But sometimes if you have them just lay and rest, they end up falling asleep, right? And then some kids really don't sleep, but then maybe you adjust their bedtime hours. What are some tips you have around that specific piece in getting, you know, good sleep habits and patterns for the children and maybe even for some adults, Heidi? 
Well, the first thing that I really want to lift up is it, it, it might call that preschool age, that three to five year olds, but we know those children are in DK classrooms and in yep. kindergarten classrooms as well. And so I think that's important to remember because, um, they don't get naps in those yeah. classrooms. Yes, oftentimes they aren't. And even if they are going to an after-school program, oftentimes that transition time is when they would be napping and so they're not. And I think that couples with what you just said around, it's harder to get them to want to turn off their brain to the world for a moment, right? Yeah. Now that's yeah. not always true. I My neighbors actually, their firstborn, he was like, cool, ready to go for a nap until he was eight years old, right? Like he was just that kid. And there are those children that are, lovers of sleep and able to <laughs> shut down and I that's fantastic you want to you know ride those coattails right yes um, and then there are children who are um they have that FOMO that fear of missing out right which I honestly if we're going to get into a little bit of a therapy session for me I think is part of my issue with napping as well but um <laughs> that, that yeah I think it's an issue for a lot of people for a lot of different things right maybe that's over committing as well so I don't know but yes, yeah FOMO. <laughs> Exactly. Right. Um, and so how do you, you know, how do you support that? And then another thing is oftentimes we see brains shift where it's not about the hours, you know, they still might need that 10 to 13 hours, but if they sleep during the day, they have a much harder time going to bed at night. I know that was true for, um, for both my kids, actually, if they continue to take naps between three and four during the day, oftentimes it could be 10 or 11 before they were really naturally able and you to needed sleep. to go to bed because yeah. you know it was yeah. like oh I can't stay up later than yeah. this I'm exhausted exactly. yeah it didn't matter that when I add their hours it's the right amount of hours of sleep it mattered that like I couldn't function and so I think that thinking about what that what does that day look like is your child in TK and do they not get an opportunity to nap and even though maybe they really are inclined to go to sleep around three or four, does that mean then you're up with them till 11? How can you shift and adjust so that bedtime's more like at seven, right? Or right. 7.30, because that gives you the opportunity then to go to bed when you need to and be rested and gets them in bed early enough. Um, and sometimes, you know, I've definitely had conversations where it's like, but they're just melting and whining. And I get that because they're exhausted and their brains are, you know, functioning. And so for, for the families that I've seen and worked with, sometimes that means that the wind down is a longer wind down and you spend more time snuggling, reading, watching a family show together, um, doing something quiet and calm, hearing a story read to with a read aloud, you know, it doesn't need to be the child's book in front of them, but you could just be sharing a story with them. Um, Those are so nice to have, you know, I, I really recommend the read alongs, but also auditory books. Like if you yourself are so exhausted, that you don't feel like you can make it through the book, you know, having them sit on your lap and turn the pages while you're doing the auditory, or I mean the, you know, audio book is also a great way for them to hear it and you're still cuddling and holding them and bonding, but not having to be the one to do the voices and read every word and do all of that, right? And I had a, one of my best friends that lives in Auburn, she shared with me that she's been doing audio um, books and audio podcasts. And oh, so nice. still be... Um, getting dishes done, but they're reading this, you know, listening to the story together. She's getting what needs to get done and they can still have that conversation about the story. And the child is snuggled on the couch and, you know, kind of starting to do that wind down um, 
for her, we've had a lot of conversations around how do you get screen time decreased because she notices her child react quite a bit to having a screen before bed and having making that a harder time mm -hmm. period. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so that that audiobook or uh, or podcast, there's tons of story podcasts for children now. It's so lovely. Um, it is lovely, and I and I think it's great too to be conscientious. I, I just want to up, you know, I want to lift up what you just said about. TV and screen time, because a lot of times, you know, even as an adult, we will have our phones or our whatever in front of our faces. And they actually recommend that you don't have screen time at least 30 minutes prior to bed. You know, really for younger kids, it's probably more, it, you know, time because your brain is again, triggered in a different fashion, not in the right ways. And you don't necessarily, um, have the same ability to wind down. We think it's helpful to us, but it's not. So it's better just to read a real book as an adult than, and that would be true for children, right? Like, so reading your paper book as opposed to a Kindle book, it just really does do something different to your brain when you have the screen in front of your eyes. It, it triggers it different and your brain doesn't realize you're supposed to be trying to wind down and go to sleep. Yeah, which we're backwards tricking it, which we don't want to do. Um, so both of those kinds of ideas that I shared are all three of these kinds of ideas around also the concept of routines, right? And creating yeah. a consistent um, and also really feasible bedtime routine, right? I think it doesn't, it, we might have this kind of euphoric fantasy of three books before bed every night. And, you know, um, these all, everything else is shut out to my brain as a parent. It's okay. I'm going to be focused hundred percent on this. And and the reality is that often just isn't true. And so giving ourselves grace and understanding that's not true and making the routine work for us. Maybe it's one book. Maybe it is a oral story before bed and you're listening to this audio story before bed too, right? And so what does that look like? Um, but being mindful of it and thinking about it so that it can stay somewhat consistent because what you don't want is to set you or your kiddo up for failure, right? Exactly. And I think it's really about that routine. Once you build a routine, it's easier for you. It's with anything, right? We've talked about this at exercise. We talked about this, you know, when we talked about uh, the other pieces of the stress buster is building that routine in is going to be vital to keeping it going. And you don't start huge because you need to bite off one thing at a time. You pick something small, pick a goal and figure that out, but you don't want to set yourself up or your children up for an expectation and yourself or they have a view that isn't going to be met, right? Or that you have of them, quite frankly. So really making sure that you're thoughtful about it. What can you handle? What can they handle? You know, and just having a routine of some sort put in place. You know, this is when we're gonna start it. So also having kind of a start time to it so that, and you give yourself enough time, right? So brushing teeth, putting to bed, that's all part of the routine, you know, so that it builds into them the life long abilities to do some of these things for themselves once they become adults, right? And that's kind of what we're doing when we're building their brains from zero to five is building that routine and structure and getting it ingrained. Um, so we brush our teeth every night at this time, we do this and we make it, you know, a part of our bedtime routine. I don't know about you, but my bedtime routine is pretty similar every single night, stray from it. It's just because that's what, you know, when I do stray from it, I forget to do other things that I'm supposed to do during my bedtime routine, right? Which is very habitual and it it's calming that way too. The the other, the flip side too is what about a kiddo who is resting too much or is unable, you know, having a rough time going to sleep and you always want to be mindful, are they getting enough activity during the day? 
right? So that flips to yeah. the stress buster of physical activity, which we know they're all connected, right? So if they get enough physical activity during the day, they will have the need for their body to rest in a natural way. And so that's always a kind of a reflective question you can ask yourself too, if they're really fighting it. I, we've had that experience, I know, when it's been like, well, the family's kind of got a, a bug or we're sick and we end up doing a lot of downtime throughout the day. And all of a sudden, even though we still are a little sick and don't feel good, we can't go to sleep because we've just yeah. sat all day long, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think that that, you know, your body starts to revolt. <laughs> Why haven't you done anything? I know I'm sick and I know I need rest, but at the same time, um, I also need to move because we're not meant to just stay stagnant. Even when we're not feeling well, you have to get up and do a few little things. But then you, you're right, like if you slept all day, then toward the end of the night, if, you, if your body is healed a little bit, so, but you're still feeling a little punky, you're not able to fall asleep the same way. And that's true for children too. And I think sometimes we forget as adults that you know we give ourselves permission. We forget that that's true for children and we don't give them the same permissions. We often have different expectations for children. One of, you know, we're the adult we know best. We know your body better than you know it, all of those things. And we forget that we're feeling those ways too. And I will never forget the first time that uh, it kind of, real, not the first time, but when it really hit hard home for me was when I, as an adult, got an ear infection. I'd had them when I was a kid a lot, a lot, but I still didn't remember the pain associated with an ear infection. And my poor daughter had an ear infection shortly after that. And I was like, oh, I it. when I got it, I was like, this is the worst thing. And it just reminded me like, be extra patient, be extra kind, because these are not fun, you, you know? But I think sometimes we have different expectations for kids and it's not any different for them with sleep. They may need more sleep than we do, but they still fight the same fights with their body to get to sleep. They also can have the same reactions if they get too much sleep all in a row. And, you know, so just being mindful of that and knowing and being patient and kind to yourself as, a, as the adult in their lives and then patient and kind with them because they're learning and you're supposed to be helping them learn through this, right? Yeah. Oh, patient and kind. Always, always, always. That's why I enjoy these conversations because they remind me of that for myself and not just through a family lens, but th through thinking about, you know, we have ebbs and flows in our workflow too, right? And knowing that sometimes we just need the downtime and to rest, I think is really important through a, a, a business lens as well and, and how you can honor your staff and seeing like, hey, if you're really tired today, why don't you take an extra 15 minutes at lunch and, you know, take a rest or do what you need to do, I think is one of those nice kind and, and grace offerings we can give for our stress busters. <laughs> for sure. And I, that is a great point, Heidi. I think, again, it's, it's about modeling, right? So you're modeling for your, you know, children technically when you are being kind and patient with other people around you. And, you know, especially when you're talking about work environments and knowing that everyone's coming to the space maybe in a different way and also with different experiences or something could be happening for them currently in their lives that they're bringing to the table. And knowing that when we are thinking about how we're gonna proceed with the day, sometimes flexibility is some, you know, one of the best things we can have. And I know sometimes that's difficult, but with children specifically, it's really necessary. Um, and then when you aren't perfect with it and you're and they're not perfect with it, just being very kind to yourself about that. You know, no one's perfect. We can't strive to be perfect. 
And in this world, I think there's an expectation that people be perfect, but it's definitely not attainable. Um, and I used to have, uh, you know, one of the adults in my life used to say, you know, wouldn't it be so boring if everyone was perfect? Like, really? There'd be no differences in anyone because everyone would be so perfect, you know, and it has always stuck with me. So um, it was basically the message that being perfect is not all it's cracked up to be, right? So it really, yes, that's right. It's not an easy road, but it's supposed to be a non-perfect road for sure. Okay, let's get into our goals. Um, so on the ACEs Aware self-care toolkit, one of the goals for sleep as the adult in the child's life is to be consistent about going to bed at the same time every night. So not just about setting that up for your kiddo, but about doing that for yourself as well. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's a good one though, because, you know, I think if you're not consistent with that, then you're not getting the number of hours of sleep you need, or you're getting too many hours sometimes, you know, the other piece, the other side to that is trying to get wake up at the same time every day. So that is the other piece of your consistency that I've heard and read in different articles um, around research in sleep that you're supposed to also do. So going to bed at, a, at the, a, the, around the same time within you know a half an hour window on either side and then waking up within a half an hour, including on the weekends when we all feel like we need to sleep in, it, you know, you're not supposed to sleep that much farther past the time that you're waking up normally because it's just your body starts to get into a routine and then you're getting the number of hours of sleep you need. All right, the next one is one you mentioned really earlier, which is creating a cool, calm, quiet place for your bedtime routine, right? So minusing the screens, minusing the extra light, having the calm sensory sensations. Yes. And, I, and, then, and then the next one is useful my, using mindfulness or other stress reduction tools. Um, if worry or anxiety is keeping you up at night, and I really do utilize that. And I talked about that in another um, stress buster conversation, but really using meditation as uh, an avenue for that right before sleep. So I've been doing meditation right before sleep. It's really been helpful. It deepens my sleep as well as helps me get to sleep. So, you know, really using that mindfulness or other kinds of stress reduction has been beneficial and can be beneficial for others. All right, are we gonna create goals? Let's do create it. a goal. Let's do it. What, do you have a goal in mind? No, I told you sleep is hard for me. <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, you know what I might do? I might keep a sleep journal. That's a good one, actually. And it's not one that they recommend, but it's definitely one I've heard that's helpful because yeah. your sleep journal journal does tell you like, you, you know, in your journal, you're you know going to write about like, what was your routine? What time did you go to bed? How did you sleep? you know, the night before, all of those pieces, right? So that's a great idea. And then you can change things based on whether or not you're feeling refreshed or not when you wake up, right? Yes. <laughs> you, you know, something we didn't mention during this, but I just thought of when I said that after you mentioned a sleep journal is that, you know, sometimes when I oversleep, don't you feel kind of groggy? I call it groggy. I don't know. I feel like lethargic even. So yeah. I think that's one way that you can also see, you know, if you're not sleeping enough, but then if you sleep too much, you also have similar kinds of like, you know, sloth type tendencies, yes. I call them. <laughs> anyway, so that's a great idea. I love the sleep journal idea. What's your goal? What are you going to do? 
I am really going to try hard to go to bed consistently. That's one of my biggest issues is I don't always get to bed on time, even though when I use my mindfulness and I use my routine, it's not always started at the same time or done at the same time. Right. And so I really want to start to do start that process at the same time every night. Um, and then on the weekends, I tend to really stay up late and then get up late, a little bit later. But sometimes I still wake up at the normal time and then I just get up. And so I'm not getting enough sleep on the weekends always. So that's my that's my goal. All right. Well, we invite you to set your own goals. Think about one of the ideas on the self-care toolkit or think about another sleep-related goal remembering that you are modeling and, and walking it with your with your children and your staff. So um, it is critical that you too get sleep. Yes. So go take a nap now that you've heard this and uh, tell them we gave you permission. No, don't do that. <laughs> oh, thank yeah. you all for hanging in there with us. We've been so enjoying the Stress Buster series. I know it makes me think about things in a different way. And um, for sure. For Love sure. Things you guys are doing and, and knowing that you're engaging with it as well. Definitely. And we love hearing any of the stories that you have around some of these positive aspects or continue to tell us those because they inspire us as well. So keep on inspiring each other. We appreciate you all. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to check out the links in the podcast or go to our websites, www.firstfiveshasta.org or www.firstfivetehema.org for any additional information, resources, or needs. You can also directly email either of us, Wendy at W-D-I-C-K-E-N-S at F-I-R-S-T-5 S-H-A-S-T-A dot org or Heidi at H-M-E-N-D-E-N-H-A-L-L at F-I-R-S-T-5-T-E-H-A-M-A dot com. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and you'll join us again. Remember, it only takes one person in a child's life to make the difference in building resiliency. Will you be that person?